Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Rick Prado with us. His book, Black Ops. We'll get into this book in a big way in just a moment. One more question about the, the Ukraine-Russian situation. Why couldn't they work this out at the table before any kind of military conflict, Rick? Well, um, again, uh, the negotiations is not their forte. Um, they, don't, they cannot make any argument and concessions that uh, Putin is going to accept. And he's always had his finger on the military option. Uh, I think that that's his mentality and his background uh, pushes him in that direction. So he's not afraid of war, um, and, uh, and and he is an aggressive individual. Uh, yes, I think economic sanctions could have started a lot earlier. I think our help for the Ukrainians should have started a lot earlier. And again, when I say we, I mean the Western world, not just the United States. Now back to your book and your work. As a CIA operative, uh, did you have to get this book approved once you wrote it? Yes. As a matter of fact, this book is uh, fully approved by the agency. Uh, CIA took six months to uh, to approve this book. And I'm pleasantly surprised how much they allowed me to talk about. And I think that the the, the main reason for that was the argument that I make up front with the book um, is the the reason I brought, wrote the book is primarily because after all these years uh, working with some of the best people I've ever worked with and watching TV just like everybody else does, I got tired of the image that my agency has. is the most maligned a- agency uh, in, in the federal government. And, you know, our our heroes, our patriots, are those people that, that, that do the work that nobody even knows are always described as immoral, treacherous, yeah. maniacal assassins like Jason Bourne that are being hunted down by their own government because of some black program, blah, 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 or selling drugs. And, you know, after, after 9-11, we have 137 stars on our wall of men and women in the agency that have given their lives up for what we believe in. And we owe those individuals a much better uh, opportunity to, to be, be known and some of their, their, their exploits uh, documented, especially after all these years. So that, that was the reason for the book. And I, like I said, I'm very, very surprised. You, you read it, so you know that there's quite a bit of uh, uh, information there oh, that yeah. is going to be new. Uh, and, you know, you, 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 had, you said it earlier, too, the, uh, the contrast between having the Cold War, um, which never really went away, I, you're seeing it again, but the terrorism, the, fe- the phenomenon, the, the terrorism came in, and it was like a flashbang for everybody to... Uh, to focus on just that. How did you get recruited into the CIA? You know, when um, when I was uh, about 20 years old, I, I joined a, a unit in the Air Force called Pararescue, which is a one of our elite uh, special operations forces in the war, in the United States. It's like the Navy SEALs. That is correct. Yeah. And like Green Berets, you know, we have our different expertise. We're primarily combat medics that can jump out of airplanes, do scuba, mountain climb, and all that mm-hmm. other, and shoot and, and loot as, as necessary. But our main goal always remains um, bringing down, back, back, uh, uh, down pilots or a team that goes in and it gets, gets pinned down. Um, in Afghanistan, we had a lot of uh, Green Beret teams that were, had PJs, pararescue men, with them for, for that reason. So, but anyway, that during that time, I mean, I went in in uh, in, in, in late '71, 
into into pararescue, and I, of course I went because I wanted to go to Vietnam. I, I felt that I owed this country a debt of honor for what they've done for 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 my my family and myself, and um, I, I decided to, to go into into the military. And fortuitously, I met somebody who introduced me to pararescue. And um, I did a few years with them, um, and then I applied to, to the agency. I think it was in 74. And back then, uh, as you may recall, we were going through an incredible attrition post-Vietnam, so they very nicely told me, we're not hiring, we're firing. Tried it again in 79, and this time they asked me to start doing some contract work with them with our Special Activities Division Ground Branch, which is the CIA's special operations forces, for lack of a, a better word, and it, all, the, all the people that go there come from that background. So that exposed me to uh, CIA management, and unfortunately they were still not hiring. Um, but then what happened was the Sandinistas uh, they declared themselves communists. They became part of, of the Cuban uh, tentacle that, that was uh, engulfing Latin America and, so, and spreading into El Salvador and Guatemala and, and places beyond. And um, Reagan came to power, and he said, we are going to stop this, and we started a covert program called the Contras. That's right. With Oliver, uh, Oliver North was part of that, wasn't he? Yeah, at, at the, uh, late, uh, slightly later on. I mean, at the very beginning, he was not. Um, but in, in, in material, the, the, uh, the covert auction was a program that, at the end, was successful because it forced the Sandinistas, through military pressure, uh, through our surrogates, not through our surrogates, supporting the freedom fighters that were there, the Nicaraguan freedom fighters that were there, forced them to a, a carry out a democratic election with oversight, world oversight, and the Sandinistas lost. So that that's, that's, that was that was a success story for the agency and a, and a shot in the arm for the agency. What's happening in Nicaragua now? They're back to square one. That's what uh, I have a couple of friends in the Mosquitia, which is the eastern side where the Native Americans there live. They're Comisquito, Sumo, and Rama are the three uh, tribes that populate that area. And um, he was telling me, he says, Rick, this is as bad as it was in 1981. Jeez. The oppression is there. The uh, the abuse is there. The starving is there. They're blocking the roads. They're As soon as we uh, leave, everything people. falls apart again, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and, and again, we cannot be everywhere at, at, at the same time, but we definitely need to maintain uh, some influence in places, especially in our backyard. I mean, you got to understand, Nicaragua and Venezuela and th- those kind of places—they they are in our backyard. The Ukraine is, is a foothold by the West to threaten the mother country, blah blah blah, or the fatherland, whatever the heck they call it. Um, well, if we adopted the same theory, which I'm not saying that we should, uh, why why don't we go to Cuba? Cuba is a, a a surrogate, vile, violent, aggressive surrogate of the of the of the Russians, and it's ninety miles south of our border. Well, it absolutely is. But why is it is is it justified, Rick, when people talk about the United States doing so many covert things in other nations? Is it justified or not? Well, let me explain it. It is, it is justified because it's how it's done. I mean, it, you know, it, it's not the CIA or DIA or any of the other sister organizations from the community. This, these are things that are thought about and, and, and come from the White House. As a matter of fact, you know, our, our boss at the end of the day is the president of the United States. Sure. 
Um, we do covert action um, for things like Ukraine, um, things like Nicaragua, uh, things like in Salvador. We had a lot of our friends in Salvador, uh, of my friends in Salvador, training the Salvadorians and buttressing them to try to push back the, the, the uh, communist guerrillas that were you know, taking over the country. So that's the kind of covert action we do. We also do covert action against terrorism. You know, we, we try to recruit, we try to, you know, if necessary, kidnap somebody, track them down through technology or through human uh, sources. But the bottom line is we have to fight back. And if we sit back, Ukraine is not going to be the exception. It's going to be the rule. We could have taken out Osama bin Laden way before 9-11. Why didn't well, we sir. do that? <laughs> Yes, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a plank owner of the Bin Laden Task Force. In uh, late 95, early 96, the agency decided that they were going to create a, a station dedicated strictly to uh, Osama Bin Laden. And I'm a plank owner of that. I, I started with Mike Shoyer. Mike Shoyer was a, a senior analyst. And I was a GS-15 at the time, and I was his deputy. I was, so I was the deputy chief of station. And we started um, making book on Bin Laden. And I will tell you, uh, in in the mid 1990s, we knew where. Not only did we know where Bin Laden was, I could have told you what he had for lunch. Wow! Because we had we were photographing him, and and he was there in a very. Uh, he was in Khartoum, Sudan at the time. Now, it was and, this during the era where the Soviet Union was uh, in Afghanistan? That was well. That's how that's how he started. He started when the uh, the Russian invasion, the uh, Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. He was a mujahideen, and we helped him. So, Yes, he did. Yeah, we we helped the mujahideen to uh, to fight the communism, and as a matter of fact, uh, we gave them the tools and the training to knock back that 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 aggression. Uh, of course, you know the uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's right. Uh, and and that turned around on us. And Bin Laden is a perfect example of that. But back to the point that we had we you know we had him in our sights. There was no doubt in my mind. I was seeing it every day, and that was my job as as the ops guy. The, the the scenarios that we could have used to disrupt Bin Laden in any any way that you, that you could think of, and we proposed this uh, up the ladder time and time again, and the political fortitude wasn't there. Uh, it was well, you know, uh, he really hasn't done anything. Well, he's training people to do this kind of stuff. What do you think it's going? Uh, he's dealing with very radicalized. You know, uh, uh, folks from all over the world. He, you know, I, I describe Bin Laden as the, the, the scene from The Godfather. He was that guy that could reach out and touch different organizations out there, and they would they would do his bidding uh, because of the money that he had and the charisma that he had. But at that time, we could have taken him out of commission, and I don't mean just killing him. We could have kidnapped him. Um, imagine if we would have done that. You're talking. Chances are the coal bombing would have happened. The bombing of our embassies in Africa would have happened. And definitely, you know, 9-11 probably would have not happened. Right. And it's, it's the same argument, you know, imagine if we had shot Hitler in 1939. Same thing. Same kind of thing. Now, didn't uh, Osama bin Laden come to the United States under some assumed name, under our invitation? I had heard that a long time ago. I've never heard any proof of that. I've heard the rumors, but as an intelligence officer, I don't, you know, I can't deal in rumors. They gave him some U.S. name like Bobby Moore or something like that. 
uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, and, and if you think about it, if it was a way of trying to uh, bring him into the fold and make him an ally, it was worth it was worth a shot. But once that shot wasn't worth it, um, we, we we were tasked to to focus on him. And let's face it, you know that same little unit that I uh, helped start, which where I would think was maybe ten of us at the time, uh, is the very same unit that eventually, years and years, like a couple of decades later, was able to finally pinpoint him and allow our Navy SEALs to shoot him in the face. Once the KGB fell apart in the Soviet Union, what has replaced it now in Russia? Well, they have their own intelligence service, and you know you you can change the label from the outside to the other. Uh, you know, organizations like like mine are supposed to be apolitical. Uh, that's the first thing they taught me at the farm. We don't do politics and we don't do policy. We collect intelligence and we carry out covert action at the direction of the United States president. And, um, it, it, you know, th- those organizations are meant to do one thing. Now, I think that the biggest difference, which a lot of people do not understand, and again, the reason that I, that I am so proud of the book, is... You know, the, the Russians and the Cubans and, and even the Chinese, the communist uh, countries, that their intelligence service primarily try to recruit for weaknesses. In other words, the person that is cheating on his wife or they put a honeypot is, is a big deal. It's is where they send a very attractive woman to a guy who's, you know, in Germany, been there for two months working, and, and uh, he's got access to classified material, and they, you know, she seduces him, compromises him, and, he talks. and makes him flower. Yeah. We don't do that. We, we do not. We try to recruit for strengths, individuals that have the same convictions, whether they're in country A or country B, to help us do the right thing. Have you ever and had anybody we- within the CIA, Rick, go rogue, where you had problems with them? Well, I mean, I think not necessarily rogue, but as as you know, we have had individuals that 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 were traitors. You know, they actually defected uh, to to the uh, to the Soviet Union for at uh, one time. Uh, we've had people that worked for the Russians, uh, and it's funny, none of those guys were recruited by the Russians. They volunteered. Gee, why would uh, they do yeah. that? Money? Well, well yeah, pri- primary money. Uh, the, the last guy that was really involved with this, and I'm trying to remember his name because I met him several times, Nicholson. Uh, Nicholson. Um, was, was there a movie about him? I don't know. There was a movie know. about a CIA operative who went to the Soviet Union, basically. Well, there, there was a guy way before him, even before I got in, that, that uh, went through the farm and did everything else, and then shortly thereafter, uh, you know, uh, started providing information and, and ended up in, in uh, the Soviet Union. But um, uh, it, it's it, intelligence services will continue to be intelligence services, uh, and there's a continuity from the KGB to now. that hasn't changed whatsoever. Nothing in, in Russia has, has changed other than the creation of these oligarchs that have this incredible power and money, which, again, it's could be a thorn on, on uh, Putin's side if they get uh, further discontent with him. Uh, exactly. If their money gets seized by us, who knows what uh, could that's happen. That's right. That is right. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.